0: Honesty. It's an interesting concept, and I wonder how many of us are honest. We're honest with each other. I wonder how many of us are are honest with the world. Does the world see who we really are? We live in an era that is so obsessed with image. Social media and filters help us create an image. But more importantly, the question is, are we honest with God? And you may say, well, how can we not be honest with God? God knows everything. It's true. God does know everything. We can't keep anything from Him. But my question is, are you expressing the way you feel when you talk to God? Are you bringing your your frustrations, your confusion, your struggles to God? And are you being honest with Him? or, Or do you hide Do you pretend? We're starting a mini-series today that we're calling Honest Conversations with God. It's based on a book of the Bible that some people haven't even heard about. Some people don't even know how to pronounce it. It's a really brief book, three chapters, and it's called Habakkuk. And Habakkuk uh, is praying and he's recording his prayers and he's recording God's answers to his prayers. I, I think of it as his prayer journal. So I think somehow we got some pages from the prayer journal of this prophet, and 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 we're going to get to open those pages and talk about that and, and how it speaks to us. My hope is that as we do that, that you would be challenged to deepen your prayer life. That as we look at Habakkuk and his honest conversations with God, that you would be willing to have honest conversations with him, and, and that you would have a listening heart. And that as you listen, that... You would grow to know more about God, and, and as you grow to know more about God, that you would trust him, and that your faith will grow to go beyond the superficial. So let's open up our Bibles to Habakkuk. It's towards the end of the Old Testament, almost before the Gospels. So uh, uh, I'll, I'll give you a chance to look it up, or you just follow on the screen, Habakkuk chapter 1, verse one, it says, the prophecy that Habakkuk the prophet received. And let me just say that we don't know a whole lot about Habakkuk. We simply know that he was a prophet. That's all we know. That's all the Bible tells us. And what is a prophet? A prophet is one who has received a revelation from God and, and proclaims that revelation, shares that revelation, records that revelation so that others would know what God has said. There are 16 books in the Bible that are connected to a prophet, you know, and probably would recognize four of them, like Isaiah and Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel. Some people call these the major prophets, not because it's the major leagues like the Astros, but because they're lengthier books. And then there are 12 other books that are much shorter. They're really brief and People call them the minor prophets, not because the message is less important than the major prophets, but because they're just brief. They're shorter. And among those 12, we find Habakkuk. Now, Habakkuk shares something in common with all the other 11, and that is that they all talk about judgment. All of the minor prophets are written or or, are words of God's written to God's people when they have somehow disobeyed the covenant. They have stepped out of God's law. They have uh, carried out injustice and oppression, mistreatment of people. Their life has not reflected uh, the Torah. And so the judgment of God is pronounced by these prophets. The indictment, if you don't change the way you treat others, if you don't change the, the way that you treat the oppressed, the marginalized, then God is going to bring judgment. But the one thing that is different about Habakkuk, maybe others, but the one more distinguishing feature of Habakkuk from the other eleven is that the other eleven are prophets who are representing God to the people. God has spoken, and they bring that word to God's people. But Habakkuk represents the people to God. The people have questions; he has questions, and he brings those to God. and And so that's where we find ourselves. So the first question that he brings to God is recorded in verse 2 through 4. Let's read that. He says, How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed, and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous, and so that justice is perverted. When we look at this complaint that Habakkuk brings, it's something that seems to bother him to the core. He has a question. He has a complaint, and he probably shares this struggle with the rest of the people, at least the people that that fear God, the people that want to be right before God, and so Habakkuk is asking an honest question, and that's my first point today: an honest question. Does God ignore evil? If we're honest with ourselves, sometimes we ask ourselves that, maybe consciously or unconsciously, we wonder why God allows certain bad things to happen. We ask ourselves, why did? bad things happen to good people why is it that sometimes people who are serving god who are doing all the right things who who are trying to follow god closely experience tragedy and sometimes they get bad news upon bad news upon bad news why is it that god allows this to happen well those questions at the very core are questions that have to do with the character of god don't they if god is love then Why does he let people suffer? If God is good, why is evil in the world? And why does evil sometimes prosper? For Habakkuk and the people of his day, the main question was not, why does evil exist? But why does God ignore it? They they understood evil had to be, but why does God not do anything about it? Whether we recognize it or not, we all have assumptions about God. We, we have assumptions about how life is supposed to work. And we bring those assumptions to our prayer life. And that's okay, because our prayer life should be honest. But sometimes we should be aware of our assumptions. Habakkuk had them. One of his assumptions, and it was not necessarily an incorrect assumption, but it was an assumption nevertheless, is that God was a God of justice. And it follows that if God is a God of justice, then he will punish the wicked and he will reward the righteous. That's what what justice is. You you punish the the evildoer, and you reward those who do good. Yet, what Habakkuk was experiencing was inconsistent with this. He did not see justice. He lived around the end of the seventh century before Christ, a couple of generations before Habakkuk, the, uh, Hezekiah had become king, and after many kings who had done evil in the eyes of the Lord, Hezekiah instituted some religious reforms, and, and it seemed like like maybe the people of God were, were turning back toward God. And then uh, after Hezekiah died, his son Manasseh came, and, and he went back to the ways of his grandparents. And then his son and his son that followed him, and his son that followed him, they, they all were wicked kings. Then God raises Josiah, this young man who, who, who loves the Lord, who, who wants his people to experience the Torah and, and God's love and, and God's blessings. And so he, he works during his entire reign to institute religious reforms that are very good. And it seems like at least during his reign that revival was possible, that spiritual renewal was coming to God's people. But as soon as Josiah dies, the revival dies. And that is the time when, Hez, when Habakkuk steps into the picture. And, and as he looks around, the Bible says that in, in his prayer that he saw violence, injustice among the people of God. The people of God were experiencing internal problems. He looked around at God's covenant people. And what he saw was destruction and strife and conflict. People weren't following the law of God. They weren't obeying his commandments. And, and, and as they were ignoring them, they were oppressing their own people. God's people were in trouble. The nation that God had chosen was falling apart. Habakkuk saying, How can this happen? How can God allow this? How can the God of the covenant allow those who break His covenant get away with that? And it's evidently evident that this is not the first time Habakkuk prays this prayer. Look, look at verse two again. He says, "How long, Lord, must I call for help?" In other words, I've, I've brought this before you. I've prayed this prayer before. I've asked you this question. I've cried. Lord, there's injustice, there's violence, there's trouble, there's brokenness. How much longer must I ask you before you answer? It's an honest question. Does God ignore evil? Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt like God ignores you or ignores your prayers? Have you ever felt like God is not answering do you ever wonder why God allows certain things that are wrong to continue? Why does God let people you love hurt you? Why why do people at work gossip about you when you're just doing your job and you're trying to do the right thing and, and they, they they do politics to make you look bad? Why are some church people mean spirited and hateful? They're supposed to be Christians. Why do people go into a school and kill innocent children? Not one time, but two, three, four, five, too many times. Why do Christians cancel each other simply because they disagree on an issue when what's supposed to bind us together It's eternal? Why are people politically violent, willing to hurt other people physically because they disagree with them with their politics? Why do people that we have given our trust to, such as educators and elected officials and pastors, betray our trust, abuse their power, become corrupt, and sometimes abuse other people? Does God see that? Does He ignore that? Why doesn't He do anything about it? That leads me to my second point, and it's a surprising answer. After Habakkuk had had brought his prayer to the Lord multiple times and many times he felt like God was not answering, this time God does answer and his answer is found in verse 5. It says, look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed for I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are feared and dreaded people. They are all to themselves and promote their own honor. Their horses are swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves at dust. Their cavalry gallops headlong. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle swooping to devour. They all come intent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind and gather prisoners like sand. They mock kings and scoff at rulers. They laugh at all the fortified cities by building earthen rams. They capture them. Then they sweep past like the wind and go on. Guilty people whose own strength is their God. This is a surprising answer from God. In fact, God knows that. And so he tells Habakkuk and the people, you're not going to believe it. You're not going to believe my answer. Even if someone told you, you're going to have a hard time understanding what my answer to your question is. God invites Habakkuk to look beyond this internal conflict that is going on among the, the people of God and to look at the international scene. And you need to be utterly amazed at what is happening beyond Judah. Judah, when Habakkuk comes into the scene, is a very small territory surrounded by the vast Assyrian Empire. The Assyrians had occupied much of of the known world and and they had come to the northern part of Israel and they had conquered them and carried them captive. But they have left Judah alone, the southern part of the kingdom, the southern kingdom of Israel had been left alone and, and Jerusalem was intact and the temple was there. And somehow Judah was surrounded by this heathen, pagan, idolatrous kingdom And they felt like somehow God had protected them even there. But God tells Habakkuk to look beyond Judah and to pay very close attention. God says that he's raising up the Babylonians. Some of your translations might say Chaldeans. They are related. But he's raising up the Babylonians as his instrument of judgment. This ungodly nation, idolatrous. It it, it says ruthless, impetuous, violent, unjust, arrogant nation. God is raising them up to bring about justice on his people. These Chaldeans were the last Babylonian dynasty. In league with the Medes, They, under the leadership of Nebuchadnezzar, they had marched on to the capital city of Assyria, which was Nineveh, in the year 612 before Christ. And then a few years later, in 605, they completely crushed the Assyrian kingdom, and they became the ruling kingdom. And it is during that time that Habakkuk is having this honest conversation with God. Uh, My images, because uh, I watch movies and TV, my images are, are when this vast armies of Vikings are, are coming on the coast of Britain to, ready to conquer and, and ready to take over. And, and Britain says, we have Christian kingdoms. Surely God is not going to allow the Vikings to overcome us. Surely God is going to be on our side because we're Christian kingdoms. And, and, and when I think about that, I wonder, who are the people that you and I think that God would never use. The Jews thought God could never use the Babylonians. The British thought God could never be on the side of the Vikings. Who do you think God could never use? For the Jews at this time it was incompatible with their faith that God, that God's people would ever go into exile, that that the temple in Jerusalem would ever be destroyed. But as Habakkuk is having dishonest conversation with God before the fall of Jerusalem, God says, "You're about to be surprised. I'm raising up a heathen empire to bring judgment on God's people. God was going to use wicked people to discipline His covenant people. Ouch! Ouch! It doesn't make sense." Why would God use unbelievers to bring about discipline to His people? That's the question for next Sunday, so I'm not going to get ahead. The question this Sunday was Does God ignore evil? And God's answer is this No, I don't. I don't ignore it. I notice it. I know what's going on. And I'm always at work. I may be at work in places you don't imagine. And you don't think, but I am working. My timetable is different from yours, but I am working. That's the surprising answer that God works outside of our expectations. We may not realize this, but I think sometimes we create a little box of where we think and how we think that God should work. We say, this is the box where God is supposed to work. And then we pray, God, God, work in this box. In this way, at this time, because that's my understanding. And God says, I don't have to work in your box. I'm bigger than your box. I was reading an article yesterday from Christianity Today where they are interviewing Bono from U2. And uh, Bono is retelling a story about 20 years ago where when um, he, uh, Billy Graham, the evangelist, asked to meet the U2 band and and to uh, pronounce a blessing on them. And they got excited. So they flew from Ireland to the United States. And, and, uh, and they got here because they wanted to meet Billy Graham. And, and they wanted him to pray over them. And Frank and Franklin Graham picked up Bono from the airport. And uh, as they were driving, Franklin was asking him about his faith. He says, are you really a Christian? Are you really safe? Have you really trusted Jesus? And Bono was saying, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus. And, and he says, why aren't your songs more Christian? Well, he said, they are. But why, you know, and so he kept questioning why his songs just didn't fit his mode uh, of Christian. And Bono answered, look around, look around you. Look at creation. Look at the trees. Look at the sky. Look at these kinds of verdant hills. They don't have a sign up that says, praise the Lord, or I belong to Jesus. And yet, they just give glory to Jesus. See, God can bring glory to himself from places that we haven't labeled, and that's okay. Some of us may think that God can only use Christians for his purpose. That may have been what the people of Judah thought. God needs us. God can only use us. But Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8, tells us, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. It's a reminder to Isaiah, it's a reminder to Habakkuk, that God is always working, but his thoughts and his ways and his timing are outside of our little box. Sometimes it doesn't make sense. Sometimes we, we, we seek answers from God and we should, but but sometimes his answers make less sense than our questions. We cannot expect to always understand God and his ways and his time. But we can be certain of, of some things from the scriptures today, from our text today. You can be certain of this. God indeed is just and he will bring justice. In his way and in his time. Secondly, you can be certain that God is always at work, even when we don't see it. Even when we don't recognize it, he's always at work. And thirdly, that God works in ways and times we may not understand. And that leads me to my third point, which is a personal invitation. Habakkuk asked God an honest question Does God ignore evil? God answered in a surprising way. No, I don't, but I work outside your expectations. And all of this results in a personal invitation to us. It is an invitation to have honest conversations with God. Just like Habakkuk brought his honest questions to God, you can do that. When life doesn't make sense, you can cry out to the Lord. You can bring your struggles, your longings, your frustrations to God. He's not going to melt. He can handle it. Our God is big. He can handle your biggest, most difficult question. Sometimes people go around telling their frustrations to everyone else except to God. He's the one that cares the most, by the way. Some people just keep it inside and they bottle it up. And it's about to explode inside of them when God is ready to hear, to listen, to say, bring your struggle, bring your question to me. We have an invitation to pray. Make time to pray. Make room in your life for prayer, for honest conversations. This is a lifestyle that Habakkuk had and that you can have. He even took took time to write them down it's like a prayer journal. Maybe, maybe you should have a prayer journal. But the invitation is not just to bring our questions, but it's also an invitation to listen. Listen for his answer. Eventually, God answered Habakkuk's question. I know that, that's hard to believe. We, we live in days of excessive communication. We have phone calls and emails and text and group chats and social media and people don't comment and don't reply and don't like enough. and We get mad at them because they ignore our messages. Well, let me tell you what. God doesn't ignore your messages. God doesn't ignore your prayers. He doesn't ignore your pleas. He will reply. God is never overwhelmed by your amount of messages. He may not reply when you expect it, but he will reply. He may not reply the way you would like him to, but he will answer. Sometimes he speaks to our hearts in a still, small voice, just a confirmation of his will. Sometimes he speaks to us as we're reading the Bible. That's why it's important that we read our Bible so that God can speak to us. Sometimes God speaks to us through a sermon or through a Bible study or through a podcast. Sometimes God speaks to us through our wife. Maybe we should listen. Sometimes God speaks to us through our children or our grandchildren, or our brothers and sisters. God always speaks. God answers, God is seeking for an opportunity to speak into your life. I remember about two years ago, I had a phone call that my mother had had a bad fall in her home and had hit her head. The ambulance was taking her to the hospital and the situation looked very serious and I was praying praying for her, praying that this would not be serious and, and that, that she would come out of it okay. And as I was waiting, she lived in Corpus Christi. I was here in McAllen. I was waiting to hear uh, news and updates. I, I, I was at home with my wife and, and I received a phone call from a neurosurgeon. She said, your mom has, has sustained a big injury to her head and there's, um, there's a hemorrhage in her brain and and we need to make a decision. Uh, it is very likely that uh, if we don't do anything, that she's just going to pass peacefully. Um, there's probably not a whole lot we can do, but we can do surgery. And, and maybe there's a really small chance that, that she might live, but it's very likely that she won't be able to walk or talk or, or do anything normal. She said, but you need to make a decision. And I had never in my life been confronted with such a decision. I I, I thought no one, no son should have to make that decision for their mom or dad. I looked at my wife and tears started rolling down my cheeks. And I did the only thing I knew how to do at that moment. I fell on my knees and I prayed. I said, God, I need wisdom. I don't know what to do. I don't know what's going on inside my mom. I I don't know what your plans are, but I have a decision to make, and I need you right now. I cried and I prayed in desperation like I'd never prayed before. And then I felt this peace in my heart. I felt this assurance in my heart that I could make a decision. I remember that my mom was a fighter, I remember that my mom never gave up, that if there was an inch or a centimeter of hope, she would always go for it. And I said, I know what my mom would do if she was here. She would say, have the surgery. So I called the surgeon back, and I said, my mom would have liked to have that surgery, so let's do it. And then we prayed. And the surgery was successful. My mom passed away two days later. But I had the satisfaction that I knew that I did the right thing, that when I called to God, God answered, and he spoke to me. And my invitation to you today is not just to pray but to listen. Are you listening to God's voice? Are you willing to hear whatever he has to say, even if it's not what you expect? Will you accept this invitation today to make time to pray And listen. My hope is that this mini-series that we're doing in the month of November would would encourage you to do that. To have a listening heart. a, A faith that goes beyond the superficial. I hope that this month you will make time and space in your life to pray before it gets hectic with the holidays. Maybe it already got hectic for you, but you can still make time. Will you do that this week? How are you going to do it?